0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 945 or 1130 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org.
1: Each week during this series, Survival Essentials, we've been talking about a different uh, essential that we need to survive in the wilderness that is our lives, and um, some of you also know that we've brought in our survival expert, Survival Dan, to give a tip. Uh, Have you guys found that helpful for you in your lives? Most Most of you said no. Okay, that's okay. I did not find it very helpful either, Um, but we decided, okay, this is our last uh, week, and so we needed to end with just a a crescendo here. We needed like a good finish. We needed a great tip from Survival Dan. And so we're talking this morning about building a base camp. That's the survival skill that we need, having a base camp, setting it up. What are the tips that we need for that? And so actually this morning we have Survival Dan on location. Um, We're going to do a live feed connection with him get this tip from survival dan so okay let's go ahead and go to our live feed the survival dan okay there he is
0: hey dan survival dan yes hello Uh, good morning Good morning, yes, this is Survivor Dan. Thank you, I hear you've got a tip for us. Yes, okay, this morning, the survival okay. tip I'm going to teach you. I'm out here in the Everglades, okay. I'm going to teach you a tip that is sure to save your life. Wow, all right, lay it on us, give us the tip. Oh yes, okay, yes, the tip is how to remove killer bees from your campsite. Now a common problem is you set up camp and then okay. realize you set it up around a giant beehive. So right over my shoulder here there's a beehive. It's full of killer bees. They're very, very dangerous. This doesn't sound I'm good. I'm going to show you how to get rid of them okay. out of your camp. Now the first thing is camouflage. I've spent a half an hour slathering up with 16 bottles of this pure clover honey and it is virtually I don't... impossible for the bees to hear me that's or to smell me at this point. So I don't think that's it's good. It's fantastic. Okay. You need two other tools. You need a large stick and a five gallon drum. Typical for any I camps. don't like this, so, Dan. We're going to go over to the bees. Dan, now you want to be don't do this. The bees, that you don't startle them because oh if you boy. startle them, they will start to come out and swar-
1: oh, oh no. They're already coming out.
0: I... I think the honey is
1: attracting them. Okay, stop. Oh, bees. don't do that. Oh no. Kill them. Kill oh no. Oh no. Oh gosh. Dan, survival Dan. Oh no. no bees. Survival are Dan, bees. are you okay? Are you still there? Oh, let's go. Oh Let's my go! God. Oh. oh my goodness. We lost the feed. That, that was a disaster. I, I am sorry that you had to see that. I do not recommend anything you just saw in that video. I'm sorry uh, that you had to see that. Um, all right. Can someone just check on Survival Dan back? Make sure that he's okay. Okay. Um, this morning we are talking about the survival skill of building a base camp Um, That wasn't so helpful, uh, but we're talking about building a base camp, and it's not just when you're out in the wilderness like the Everglades or some national park or something. It's not just when you're out in the wilderness. It's that we all need a base camp in our lives. We need that place when you're, it's like if you're off in the wilderness and you're saying, okay, we're going to explore this area, then, then I, you say, okay, we're going to set down camp, we're going to go off on our adventures, and then we're going to return to camp at night and, and recharge and, and uh, get re- refuel, get food that we need. It's a place to rest, it's a place to discuss our adventures, and then the next morning go off on another adventure. We need that base camp in our lives, and so we're going to look at a passage It's in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 2. And this is a really interesting passage that unpacks what our base camp is supposed to look like in our lives. And it's one of these essentials. If we're wanting to follow after Jesus, if we're wanting to have a relationship with God, we have to have this base camp. We have to understand how this works. So we're looking in Acts chapter 2. Now as you're turning there, if you have a Bible or if you have an app on one of your devices that's a Bible app, as you're opening to Acts 2... Let me just give you a little background on this book. The book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. It's a history. And it takes place right after Jesus has been on this earth. He died on the cross. His his followers, the ones that were following him the closest, said, we saw him die. They said, we saw him again. He rose again from the dead. We saw him alive again. And then they, say, they tell us, they've written this down, multiple of these eyewitnesses say, then we saw him, we met up on a hill, he told, told us to meet him on this mountain, and he ascended to heaven. It's like he like, lifted off the ground, and, and they're trying to describe it. It's kind of hard for us to understand what they're describing, but he like, goes back to heaven in front of them. And they're saying, we're not claiming this happens every day. They're saying, man, this, we're just barely trying to believe it ourselves. It was so incredible. And so this is what happens next. Jesus goes back into heaven in Acts 1. This is Acts 2. So what you're seeing is the first Christians trying to figure out, what do we do next? We're looking at Acts chapter 2. We're going to we're start in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Let's look at this together. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Let me read that one more time. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers now this is a really interesting verse this is just a really interesting description you say okay what, what's the big deal about this they're saying they're they're committed to the apostles teaching that's these men that Jesus had around him that he trained personally what we know is that god spoke uniquely through them they wrote down what they saw they wrote down the stories of what they saw about jesus they were writing letters to churches to encourage them and and what what god spoke through them uniquely we put in, we've, God preserved, and it's in the Bible, and it's what we have today in the Bible. So they're committed to the apostles' teaching, they're committed to what the equivalent for us today would be the Bible. They're committed, they use this word, excuse me, they use this word fellowship and prayers. It gives this list of things that they're committed to. So, okay, what's, okay, I get that. That just sounds like a bunch of churchy things. Why is that so interesting? Think about this. This is the first moment Christians are circling up they said the Messiah came, he was here on the planet, he, he died on the cross, he washed away our sins. They're like, okay, we're, we're engaging God as followers of Christ. This is the first description of what they did next. This is the, the church as an embryo. This is like baby church. This is like just the raw DNA. Okay, think of it like this. If I say church, it doesn't matter, maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you've ever been in a church. But if I say church, everyone that that is here is going to associate something with church, that word. Maybe some of you, um, you, you've not really been to church a whole lot, so it's just what you've been taught or what you've seen depicted or what you've heard, but you have something. You think of maybe a, a white building with a steeple. Maybe some of you, you grew up Catholic, and so what you think of church is when you hear that word, you think of something a little bit more formal. There's a priest up at the front and, and there's parts that you stand up and parts that you sit down and parts that you kneel and then you go up and you take the Eucharist and you remember you genuflect and there's just things that's, that's kind of formal. Maybe some of you went to a church that was the opposite. It wasn't very formal at all and it was just kind of how things moved and the music might go an extra 15 minutes or the sermon might go on and on. You say it's a little bit more informal. Some of you went, when you think of church, you think like a small community. Maybe it was a small church. Some of you think of a mega church. Okay, some of you, when you think of church, you think of um, someone standing behind a a podium and just kind of like kind of behind a pulpit and the sermon's just kind of like a a lecture. But some of you, man, when you think of church, I mean, there was preaching and then the preacher really got going. He pulled out like a handkerchief because he's sweating, okay? And then when he really got going, and that's when real preaching's happening, he's dabbing his forehead and then the organ comes in behind him, okay, that's like real preaching, you think of that. Okay, the church I grew up in, uh, we had a, a Wednesday night dinner. It was in a fellowship hall. Okay, we used words like potluck. Okay, we, no one knows what that is if you didn't grow up a church like that. And the Wednesday night dinner in the fellowship hall, it always had this yellow rice. I mean, it was there every single time. I thought it was in the Bible somewhere that you have to have yellow rice at the fellowship dinner on Wednesday nights. Okay, we all have this layer of really thousands of years of church layered on top of each other. And so we all, when we think church, these are all the nuances we think of. But what's so fascinating about this is it's all stripped down. All that's, if you just pull all that away and all you have is just the DNA, like the basics. It's just the, if you strip it down to just the raw components, the irreducible minimum of the church, this is what you see. See, they're committed. It's like, okay, what do we do? I mean, they didn't say, hey, Thomas, I guess you've got to go buy us some choir robes, okay, and Bartholomew, you get the potluck set up. None of that. They just circle, they circle up and say, okay, what do we do? And God is working through them, and this just gives us the basics. Okay, now look how it's described. We could, we could spend months unpacking this. This is, a really, this is a passage that's really been picked apart, and it's a phenomenal passage, but I just want to draw one general truth from this. Look at how it describes it. It doesn't just give us this list, it kind of describes what it looked like. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I want you to hear how this is described. There's a word that it used in that first verse that it's now unpacking. Did you catch that word in that first verse we read? The word was fellowship. Did you catch that? The word is fellowship. Now, that's like a word that you hear pretty much almost exclusively inside a church setting, the word fellowship. But that's a very important strategic word. I want you to look what they're describing here. It's describing, man, they, would just, they were together all the time. They would gather together. They were just couldn't get enough of the Bible, the apostles' teaching. They're just drinking it in together. It says they were together day by day. It it's, uses this word together. It says, man, they were, if anyone else had a need, they would sacrifice to help someone else that was in need in this community. I mean, they, they were in each other's homes. You see it specifically said, they're in each other's homes eating together. Okay, it's using this day-by-day description. See, here's what fellowship is. Fellowship is different than just relationship. The word is translated fellowship because it's different than just relationship. A relationship can be purely accidental. You, your, the house that you live in, you have neighbors, and you have some kind of relationship with your neighbors. Might be a good relationship, might be not so good relationship with your neighbors. Okay, they may have borrowed your lawnmower and they broke it and returned it, and never fixed it. You may say, "I've got a relationship, that's not a very good relationship with my neighbors." Maybe you don't really, you just kind of wave to them at the end of the driveway. You don't know them very well, but you have some kind of relationship with your neighbors. If you are at at work, they assign you to a cubicle. You have a relationship with the person in the next cubicle. You have a relationship purely accidental. It's purely, it's just kind of an incidental relationship that you have with that person. But that's not fellowship. Fellowship is not accidental. Fellowship is intentional. It's a choice. It's I'm making space for you in my life. I'm clearing out space so that we can have a day-to-day relationship. Do you notice how it's described? They talk about day-to-day. Day-by-day, they're in each other's lives. These people, this church, they, were, they had day-by-day relationships. It's not someone I, I see every now and then and I get caught up on all the things I miss. I'm up to date. I'm day-by-day with this person. They know what's going on in my, my world this week. They know what to be praying for me next week. Day by day, I'm in this relationship. They were in each other's homes, literally. They, they knew each other's family. They, knew, they saw pictures of when they got married and they looked so young. And then you know they'd see inside each other's homes. And they, they knew how each other's how homes worked. They knew where each other lived. I mean, they're in each other's life. Fellowship is a choice. It's intentional. It's making space. It's being committed to a friendship. It's saying, okay, you have a need, not only do I know about it, not only am I just aware of it because I'm in a relationship with you, I'm going to sacrifice so that we can meet that need in your life. I'm going to not just say, oh, sure, I'll pray for you. I'm going I'm to sacrifice time in prayer for you, write it down and remember to pray for you, be committed to pray for you, and wonder, am I part of the answer to that prayer in your life? See, this is, a, this is a tight-knit group. They had fellowship. Now, if you're envisioning, this is what's so interesting about this section. If you're envisioning, wow, there's this tiny little band huddled together in Jerusalem. It was like 150 people, and they were a small church, so everybody knew each other. That, that's, how, that's how they were so close. We actually know from the previous verses, this church was somewhere around 32 to 3,300 people. That's the size of the church that we're talking about. But they were committed to having this day-by-day fellowship with each other. That's how they lived. That is one of, this fellowship is one of the irreducible minimums of the church. That's how the church is supposed to function. Now, I want you to see how this section ends. Look at verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, they had this fellowship. They had these tight-knit relationships, and God worked through that. Saying, man, this is how the church is supposed to work. This is how the church is supposed to work How God is intending to work through the church. It's that we come together, we have committed relationships, there's this fellowship, and then we bring more people into that fellowship and they experience God working through His church, and then they're impacted. Did you notice earlier when it said they saw wonders and signs? Did you catch that part? It said earlier, they were seeing signs and wonders happening. I mean, God was working powerfully through them when they were coming together, being committed to each other in this fellowship. Man, they're seeing people get healed. They're seeing people turning to Jesus they never expected to see turn to Jesus. They're seeing God work powerful things. They call it wonders. They said they were in awe of how God was working as they were, they were being committed to each other in this fellowship. See, here's one of the the irreducible minimums of the church, how it's supposed to function is that we're supposed to see the church as a place like that, a place where we have this intentional fellowship that we choose. And I say, okay, I, 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 yeah, I hear it. You're saying, you know, I have relationships at the church, but I, I think I have that. Okay, let, let's think of it like this. Let's say you go hiking. Let's, you're off and you take your family you go to a, a, one of the national parks and you go to a campground and you build, a, you get the tent, you get the fire going, you've built your campsite and then every morning you get up, that night you're planning what you're going to do and then the morning you go up and you go see this site. There's a trail and that leads to this beautiful view up on the side of a mountain and if we go follow this trail, there's, you know, you can take a donkey ride and you can go down in this canyon or if you go over here, you can see this site or this attraction and you go out on your adventure and you come back to camp. There's two different ways we can view church. One is we view, it, view church as the attraction that we take our family to. And another is we view church as our base camp that we return to from life's adventures. One is we see it's an attraction. It's something that we go to. It's something that, you know, I want my kids to be exposed to. I want them to see it. I want them to experience it from time to time. And I want to go and I want to experience it and see it from time to time. And yeah, we win. Okay, we're good. And maybe it's that attraction we go to a couple times a year, a couple times a month, or maybe it's even regularly we go, but it's kind of more of this attraction. It's kind of sightseeing. It's something we go and we see and then we return to our home. But there's another way to view it. It's our base camp. It's our hub. It's our hub. Man, it's where I find the people in my life where I do that day-to-day. They're my day-to-day people are there in my church. It's people that know what's happening in my life. They're up to date. They know how to pray for me. They know know the needs I have in my life. They know what's going on. They're they're my day-to-day people. It's the place where I've, they're the people I eat in their homes. They eat in my homes. Our kids know each other. They, They play together. Man, it's the place where I go after life's adventures. That's where I get refueled and recharged. And that's where I'm a part of refueling and recharging others. There's this base camp view of church that this is describing. Man, when it was reduced down to just the bare minimums, here's what we see. We see this community, this fellowship that was committed to each other. say, so, okay, well, how do I know if I'm treating church like a base camp or an attraction? I think I've got, i have mean, going to know people. Well, think of it like this. Let me just give you a couple diagnostic questions. And it's really a challenge for all of us to think about. If you're going to an attraction with your family, let's say you're going somewhere and there's a park ranger and they're going to show you around you know, and, and point things. At an attraction, if you don't show up, the people who run the attraction aren't, aren't going to know. The park ranger doesn't know if you don't show up. But if you don't return to your base camp after a day's adventure, people go looking for you. Let me ask this question. Your home church, you say, this is my home church. If you just didn't return... Would would people come looking for you? Do I have those kind of built-in relationships that man, if I'm not there, man, if I'm not there, I'm missed? Let me just ask you just a straight question, just right out of this passage. If I look around at my home church, have I been in each other's in people's homes? Have people been in my home? Have if I, if I gotten into that place where it's like, yeah, I, I'm close enough to people. I know their families. Our, our families know each other. We're in, in each other's homes. If I think about it, are these the people that I, when I have needs, they know and they're, they're pouring into my life? And when they have needs, I know and I'm pouring into their life. People are up to date. Are these where I'm finding? Is this my social hub of my family? Is this where I'm doing the day-to-day? My day-to-day people are in that place. Is this the hub? Is this is where people know how to be praying for me this week. See, this is what this is describing. It's describing something powerful. Now, here's the challenge. There's part of this that is the leadership of the church. It's on the leadership, and there's part of it that's on each of us as as families. Uh, uh, For the leadership, it's on us to make it as easy as possible for someone to get plugged in, to give as many opportunities as possible for someone to get plugged in to that kind of fellowship. And then for each of us as families, it's on us to take that step and risk and be committed to having that kind of fellowship. It's on, it's on the leaders, leadership to say, okay, we've got to craft our church in a way where it is so easy for someone to get plugged in. And then each one of us as our families, it's up to us saying, okay, I'm going to take a step. And this is where my day to day people are going to be. This is where it's going to be a social hub. This is going to be where we return from our adventures. Because when we, when we see the church described here, we see God working through that and God adding to their numbers day by day. You say, okay, well, give me something practical. How would I I do this? Well, mathetes, Christ followers, Christians, this is an essential. This is how the church is designed to impact our lives when it's like that. This is an absolute essential. So maybe for some, it's just as simple as, okay, I'm gonna commit to having being here regularly with my family. I'm gonna commit to being here regularly with my I want my kids to be here regularly. I want them to be const, being, constantly exposed to these relationships. I want my students to be here and in student ministry, part of it is just being here, part of it is saying, you know what, I'm gonna take that step and I'm gonna get involved in community. I, I'm gonna get that ball rolling this morning. I'm gonna sign up for a serving team. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna jump into a community group or commit to going to men's ministry or women's ministry or young adult ministry. I'm gonna take Take that step and get the ball rolling. See, so I'm going to take that step and find a way to get involved. Because when we when we lock into that Mathetase, when we lock into this, this is how God is designed to work through the church and into our lives. This is how the church is supposed to function in our lives. It's supposed to be that hub. It's supposed to be our day to day people. And what we'll see happen is that's how the God works. That's how God works through us and adds to our number. As you know. In January, we're going to a third service, which is unbelievably exciting that God is doing that in our midst. We're going to a third service. It's going to be one at 9 a.m., one at one at noon. Um, Some of you are astute to notice that halfway through this, we changed the times on you. We started with one set of three times, and we changed it. And part of the problem was we, we started with times, and we as staff couldn't even remember what the times of the services were. And so we're trying to imagine you inviting someone and trying to get them to remember when the service times are. We're like, okay, we need to start over and make this as simple and memorable as possible. So 9, 10, 30, and noon. Why? Because when God works through us as a fellowship, and then we bring more into this church, into this fellowship, that's how God works. And so we're making space. And so here's what you're going to hear us asking you to do. If you're here now, if you're hearing this now, we're asking that you would go to the 9 o'clock service or the noon service. Go to one of those services because the 1030 is where we know most of our guests are going to come to that service. So unless you're bringing someone, a guest, with you to the 1030, here's the challenge. Go to 9 or noon, and here's what we need you to do. We need you to find a way to serve at the 1030. Because we know, man, God works through the fellowship, and we see him do powerful things in our midst. We, We see him do incredible things. Do you realize this year... We've seen God do wonders and signs and miracles in our midst. Just a couple uh, weeks ago, I heard this story. I had to share it. I have to share it with you. We, our women's ministry did a service project. Our, well, virtually all of our ministries do service projects to serve the community throughout the year. And our women's ministry was doing something called Pack a And it's where they were bringing food supplies in that was then going to be donated to a food pantry. And then that was going to be given around Thanksgiving time out to needy families. So one woman plugged into our our women's ministry, their family's plugged in here and she's in the women's ministry and she came home and was talking about it and her fourth grade son who's plugged into our kids ministry, who's regularly been exposed to these service projects in kids ministry, he heard that his mom was collecting these food items and he had a birthday coming up. And he had a a birthday play date where his friends were going to come. And this fourth grader asked his mom, can you tell all of my friends to bring donations for Sack instead of gifts? Now, I don't know how many fourth graders you know that would rather donate to needy people than get gifts on their birthday. But in my mind, that is a miracle, an act of God. (laughs) You, You know what that is? That is, that's a mathetase. A fourth grade mathatase. That's incredible watching God work through our students. We had, well, um, work through our kids, but also through our students. We had just this past fall, our student ministry wanted to find a way to get more involved. At, um, at West Broward and some of the other local high schools and an opportunity came for, for um, us to get involved with the West Broward football team and Pastor Justin became the chaplain just this fall of the West Broward football team and through the fall we began praying for him we had people praying for that opportunity and just this fall just these last couple months 15 football players came to Christ. In fact um, Just recently, one was even already baptized here at West Pines. We're seeing God work through our students. Um, We're seeing God is working miracles in our midst. Do you realize two weeks ago we did communion? And a lot of times when we'll give the invitation for people to respond to Christ, sometimes it's in a public way that we can all celebrate, but sometimes we give people an opportunity to do it in a very private way, and we don't always get to celebrate that. But two weeks ago, we had communion. We took the Lord's Supper together, and we gave people an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus. And just in that one weekend, over 20 people gave their life to Christ here at West Pines. Some miracles. miracles. We've seen, in our, in our midst, we've seen this, Pastor, this is what we've seen God doing. We've seen, there have been parents that, that the kids have been praying for for years, and they're in community, so they got people in their community to be praying for, and year after year after year, their West Pines community have been praying for those parents, and this year, those parents put their faith in Jesus. We've seen spouses who have been praying and praying and praying for their spouse, and friends have been praying for those spouse, and seen them come to Christ this year. We've seen God working miracles in our midst. This past, just 2015, this is how God is working and choosing to work as we come together as a fellowship. This past year, we saw 73 people get baptized this year through God's work through West Pines Community Church. Let me just tell you um, one of those stories. At one of our recent baptisms, there at the end, there was a young woman, uh, a student, and she got baptized and I saw her friend come up and just give her this big hug and they were crying. I said, okay, I gotta find out what this story is. I gotta find out what, what, what happened here. And what I came to find out is that uh, this uh, a young woman, her friend, she wanted her friend to get involved in student ministry and get exposed to the church and so had invited her to student camp. And the friend couldn't make the finances work for them to come to, to student camp so this young woman who had invited her friend Unbeknownst to her parents, she raised, she, out of her own funds, paid for her student friend to come to camp with her. At camp, her friend gave her life to Christ and then was baptized a couple months later. And we're watching as these two are holding each other crying, and I said, that student... I've realized the impact of of what God is trying to do. That is a mathetase realizing the mission they are, they have on this planet to make mathetase, to bring other followers of Christ. God is doing signs and wonders when we come together as a church. And here's why I tell you all of this. Because right now, at this moment in our year, it is one of the most strategic times we have all year. We actually call this Sunday uh, around our staff, we call this Sunday Black Sunday. Because on Black Friday, it, it is just, there's a craze around the deals you can get only once a year. In fact, I always get a kick on uh, the Saturday after Black Friday of reading the newspaper reports of like all the people who got into fist fights and stuff over the Black Friday deals. I saw one where a woman runs up and she like steals a box out of like a little kid's hand Okay, and I'm like, man, what is that 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 woman stole from a child? It was a vegetable steamer. I was like, is it gold bars or something like that? A time machine? I mean, what could this be? Okay, a vegetable steamer. Okay, there is a craze over once a year deals. Do you realize that there is an urgency that we have? There will be people that will be open to going to church at this time of year that will not be open to going to church any other time of the year. And hopefully we are far more urgent about things that are of eternal significance like that than vegetable steamers. So we have a unique opportunity at this time of year, and here's what we are commissioning uh, the entire church, all of us, to do over the next couple weeks. Our goal is to equip you with every possible tool we can come up with for you to invite your friends to church this month. We are going to, you already know there. you've got shirts and mugs and decals and bracelets. We're going to give you emails that you can forward. We're going to give you anything we can think of. In fact, next week when you come, there's going to be a photo spot. In the back, it's gonna have a, a nicely designed graphic that you can stand in front of. There'll be people there, you can go and you can give your phone to that person. They'll take a picture of you, or you and your friends, or you and your family. And here's what this photo spot is for it's got all the, it's got the, a beautiful brand, beautiful design on it. It's got the Christmas information, times for the Christmas services. And what that's for is that you can ta- have someone take that picture of you. And your family, post that on on social media, maybe make it your profile picture so that you are constantly, it's a way to constantly be inviting people that God can use that to bring people into the church so He can work. And in a couple weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have um, an ornament. Ready for you to give as a gift. It's going to have a, a beautiful design on it. It's going to have it's a way for you to invite someone to church with you. Last year we did mugs. You may remember we did a, a mug your neighbor campaign last year. Um, uh, we got got in a little trouble with that. You know some people didn't understand what that was. So we're just going to do ornaments. Play it safe this year. And um, uh, we're going to. So here's here's what I want you to know. Last year when we passed out mugs. It wasn't just that we saw this huge swell of people come hear the gospel at the Christmas services. We had people come at Easter who had been given a mug at Christmas. We had people come and get involved in our ministries in the summer who had gotten a mug at Christmas. You have no idea what God's going to do when you take that step of faith and you say, hey, you know what, this is a great. I was looking for a gift to give to my neighbors anyway. Let me give this to my neighbors and my coworkers as a Christmas gift and invite them to church. You'll get that as part of our Share the Hope this Christmas. You'll get that, um, and, and you'll have the opportunity to get one of those in a, in a couple weeks. And lastly, you're going to see invites. We're gonna, you'll see invite cards everywhere. There's nothing more effective than in personally inviting someone to church. You're going to get a stack of invite cards and we're going to commission you to prayerfully say, I am going to pass out every single one of these because I want God to do something powerful in the people that he's placed in my my life. You realize, you know, we talked about your neighbors being accidental relationships. You know, really, they're not that accidental. God placed you right there. He placed you in their life. And it's an act of love. It's not like, well, I want to do it for the church. No, 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 no. It's saying, you know what? I want God to work in their life. I want to bring them in. I want to close with uh, you seeing a a testimony, a story. This is about a couple that's a part of our church, and they didn't live in South Florida but were invited to visit our church. They were invited. They attended. um, The story is about how they attended twice. They attended once over a summer, and then the second time they attended was on Christmas Eve. And I want to hear you this story. We could talk about this. We could unpack this passage. But you've got to see it. And it's fully fleshed out in a story. Check out this story.
2: When I was attending church in Texas, we got invited to um, come visit Florida. To visit our friends. And from the beginning, it was already planned out what we were going to do. This day, this day, this day. So there was no surprise. Like we... As soon as we knew we were visiting, was church was one of the things we were going to do. I, I
3: knew something was there. Something was poking and tugging at me. You know, but I finally figured it out. It was Jesus it was bringing me home.
2: So that was just like, to me, an answer to prayer. Because when we first met, you were like, I'm not ever going to go to church. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't. Care about any of that stuff, really. So for me, it was like I was blown away. I was like, "God, you are just amazing. You take this hardened soldier and uh, stop his heart, which is
3: pretty special." Yeah, the what was kind of funny about it, and it's the same thing. You know, the second time he came, you I, I said the prayer and I just kept it to myself. And then on the on the ride back, I was like used to be in my heart, and everybody's just like, what? And y'all what? At each other. what? What did you do? Why didn't you say anything? You know, and
2: he's like, You didn't see me crying? I'm like, We were like, praying, <laughs> so I just <laughs> I didn't see you crying.
3: But I, you know, to me, it was like I, I personally did it, which I think this way should be, you know, like and I kept it to myself just because you know, again, I'm still trying to figure that
2: out, and I'm still trying to understand. It. And then that's when we got the opportunity to move, so we really didn't have the finances to move, but we just prayed crazy prayers and god this is Florida
3: yeah finances showed up and we packed everything up and just took off and headed to Florida. we didn't get a place until the day we left we didn't know what was going to happen we just kind of you know more on her faith at the time than mine but we just went and you know we're now we're able to be a part of this family and it's it's been amazing ever since
2: I'd been a Christian for a long, many years, but never was baptized. Never even been in a position to be, I guess. I mean, obviously the position could be there, but I, no invitation, I guess. Like it wasn't just something. So uh, in the Bolton, was there, and I was like, he need to get baptized. So we did. It, <laughs> it was six
3: days before our anniversary, too.
2: Yeah. And then our daughter got to see us, and we had our friends and their family that was there to witness it. So it was really cool.
3: So we got baptized but didn't feel alone up. You
2: know, like we're a family and we're part of a bigger family. I really wanted to be involved and I didn't even now I serve in the children's industry, so it's even cooler because I really always wanted to wherever I was at church I thought i wanted to do something like that, but um I am supposed to be scared or just the opportunities didn't come up, and didn't know anybody. But as soon as we got here, we knew faces, people asked us our names, we were like immediately involved. I felt like this is the perfect opportunity to um, be involved with people that I feel like, you know, everybody knows your name kind of thing, like, um, comfortable. I would encourage um, anybody that wants to invite their friend to go to church. Especially West Pines. My goodness. Um, just to do it. This could be your home too. I
3: mean. I would say just, you know, the encouragement, of just have that faith that you know that they are gonna like it. You know, that no matter what they will like it. You know, regardless if they walk away that day saved or not, they're gonna have it in the back in mind they wanna come back because the the church atmosphere And to not
2: give up. I mean, just because somebody says no doesn't mean you just never ask them again. Next
1: Sunday. I love that story. It's a couple in Texas, come down to visit some friends. Friends say, All right, if you come to visit us, we're gonna take you to church. To go to church come back and visit again six months later they come to church but this time on a Christmas Eve and someone who his wife never thought he'd give his life to Christ he gives his life to Christ why? because he sensed Jesus tugging on his heart why is it? because it's not it's not about what we're doing it's that God's like look no church is perfect he says but when a church comes together I'm intending to work through that Church, this is an awesome opportunity. We are, you are being commissioned out this morning to with as much urgency as you can muster to draw people in so that they can meet with God in this season. This is a unique opportunity we have once a year. So let's see what God's going to do in our midst. Now you might be here today and you're sensing a little bit like what Josh said. You said, man, I, I feel, even this morning, you said, I feel God tugging on my heart. I feel a tugging. I feel something happening in my heart. And Josh said what it is, man, that's Jesus. He's saying, I'm the, he's saying I came to, to earth 2,000 years ago. I died on the cross. Why? To wash away your sins. You say, you don't understand. I'm so far from God. I've got a past that's got a, a list a mile long of things I've done to disappoint God. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you right now just how you are. I washed all that away. This morning, you could give your life to Jesus right now, this morning, and I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, right there in your seats, just pray this prayer. Just between you and God in this intimate moment, say, Jesus, I sense you calling me to yourself. Jesus, you know that I've, I've messed up but I know that you want to take me back right here, right now. I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again from the dead to save me. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.com.